Uh, all right, so let's, let's keep leaning in um, to, to our conversation uh, this week. Psalm 51.6, you desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. My secret heart. There's a, there is a lot of work to do in the secret heart, isn't there? The part, the part that nobody sees. The deepest places within us where our motivations and our desires emerge from. You desire truth in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Uh, this series is actually challenging to me because normally when I teach here at LifePath, we have dialogue afterwards, right? I just mentioned that. Um, it's so that we can all keep learning together, but I'll be really honest, uh, I also use it to see if the topic is landing. You know, like I want to know if it's meeting the need. If I say, all right, let's have dialogue, and everybody just stares there blankly, I have no idea. Um, but if people start talking, you know, it's, it's helpful. Um, you know, I can see if I was clear. I can see if, if people seem to be grasping what we were hoping. Um, and I've noticed that without that feedback, I can get a little nervous, uh, a little anxious. Did I, did I do it okay? Um, did people receive it? I, I want feedback. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but often... I need it, not just want it. I need the feedback. I'm an Enneagram 2 for any of you that are interested in those worlds, and I am a pure 2. And, uh, and what that means um, is that I really want to know I am valuable, and my temptation is constantly to look to others to confirm that, to make sure that people know that they're cared about, and that I know that they know it because that's helpful for my value. That makes sense? Okay. Um, external validation that I'm doing an okay job. I don't know if anybody else can relate to those sorts of feelings in life. You want to make sure that you're valuable to the world, to others, um, that you're doing okay. So that's one of the unique reasons why this series has been healthy for me personally. Because once we get done teaching, that's just it. <laughs> And there's no, there's no feedback and dialogue because that happens at the beginning of each, of each week. Um, but, but it's also, it helps me disconnect personally from that need, but it also relates directly to the pathway of Jesus that we are, are talking about and looking at today. Uh, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 6, and he's, he's teaching people uh, about a way of being in the world. The entire, what we call Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 8, is, or 5 through 7, is really this, this journey of, of Jesus not just telling you to do a bunch of things or not to do a bunch of things. It's Jesus teaching us how to be. All right? It's, it's about the deep places. And, uh, and it's often up and against what the common ways of understanding spirituality were in, in the Jewish culture and religion. Okay? So Jesus is telling this story, or he's, he's teaching, um, and he's got listeners all over the place, both who are highly educated and spiritual religious leaders, and he's got peasants and, and poor common folks listening in. So he always, he's often talking with, with both of those things in mind. But he really challenges over and over the religious leaders. And in Matthew 6, it's no different. And here's what he says. He gives a warning. And he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, 
He gives three examples. Here's the first one. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's the first example. Uh, I think it's really, really interesting because um, uh, the, the example that he gives there of, of this, is, this is about generosity and giving. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Um, there have been all sorts of, of people who have tried to conjure up stories historically about how this was a thing that happened where people blew trumpets when, when they were like walking down the street. It's all, it's all uh, baloney. It, there's, no, there's nothing to suggest this. Um, however, what we do know is that in the temple, right in front of the treasury, all of the alms boxes were shaped like trumpets, like this. The reason they were shaped like that was so that you could drop stuff in but not get stuff back out. Um, so they kept more kind of this, this nice large thing. And so when Jesus is talking about generosity, and the interesting thing is that there were, oh, I shouldn't get, okay, it's fun. There were these different things, and they were all dedicated and inscribed for different purposes for giving. So you would make your, your, um, your gifts for the sin offering over here, which everyone would do, right? Nobody was perfect, so you would offer, you know, if you, especially if you didn't have an animal, you could offer the cost of a dove or something like that for your sin offering, clank it here. If you had extra left over, you could give them over here. If you had more money, more money to give. And so everybody gave over here, but only certain people gave over here. And, and when you go, if you've got a lot of extra, you can dump it in that trumpet, and man, you can blow that trumpet, right? Clang, 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 with all of these, these big extras, you know? And so, um, so most scholars believe that Jesus was, was talking about this, how these, these giving boxes, they were shaped, and they were made of, of um, gold or, or metal of some sort. Um, and, and that this was a way of saying, listen, a lot of people in, their, in these religious settings, they want folks to know. They want folks to know how generous they are. They want folks to see it. They announce it with trumpets. Uh, and he says, don't be like that. In fact, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. There's something about that. And he's saying, listen, you'll get your, you'll get your reward. The, the um, where is it? Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That phrase is, the, is a phrase that was used. Um, it's the language of repayment in ancient business practices. All right? So, so it's all transactional. He's saying, if you are doing this and you are excited about receiving accolades and people being impressed, that transaction will indeed take place. Congratulations. The transaction is now complete. <laughs> if there was any indebtedness that, you know, people had to you because... You wanted to prove that, they were, that you were generous. Now they paid you for, for your generosity. And you're, you're good. You're clear. There's nothing else to be done. And so, so this ancient business practice of settling debts is the language that he uses to say, when everyone's impressed by what you do, congratulations, it's all settled now. But if you practice your generosity quietly, if there's a humility that's underneath it, if it's not about other people seeing, then God is the one that will eventually reward you and not people's accolades or people's impressions that pay you for your good work. And so he encourages you to just hang tight and just maybe change a little bit 
of these attitudes. And he goes on, and he says, um, and when you pray, all right, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. By the way, by the way hypocrite for us is hypocrite, <laughs> right? That's what it means. It means someone who does one thing but, but thinks another. The, the actual word is just actor in the, in the Greek. So don't be like the actors is what Jesus is saying, all right? So the word hypocrite is a direct translation of those who would engage in acting. Don't be an actor when it comes to these things, all right? Don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. To be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, here it is again, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. He gives one more example, and I'm not actually going to get into it very much, but because Dwayne used this passage when we talked about fasting a month ago. Um, but, but his third example is about fasting, which is another similar to prayer. And he says, listen, if you're fasting, don't act all like, oh man, like drop that, you know. Yeah, I've been, been fasting a lot lately, as you can see by how exhausted I looked. And he's like, clean yourself up. Don't try to put on this extra layer of exhaustion, you know. Um, don't, don't stop showering because you're fasting, you know. Don't moan and groan about it so that people will be so impressed with your piety. He says, go about your business. Let it be something that stays between you and God and just see what happens. So in these three examples, Jesus warns about our posture in both generosity and spirituality. That both are, are actions of goodness, our actions of goodness, and our expressions of spirituality can be done toward the world for everybody to see. There are ways of doing the things of Jesus that are way out there in front of everyone, and there are ways of doing our own spiritual journeys that constantly make sure that others are aware of how well we're doing. And Jesus says the big issue here is that they're being done toward the world, not being done toward God. And so Jesus moves us beyond those three specific examples because of what they represent, all right? Now, it's a very human thing, very human thing, friends, to, have the, to, to want to have our actions valued by others, right? It's a very normal thing to want to have feedback, all right? We are relational beings, after all, and God actually made us for this. We're hardwired. Hey, Daddy, watch this. The amount of times I had to hear that phrase, you know, because look, look what I can do. And we want positive feedback. That's not a sinful urge. Like, let's be, let's be real clear. I mean, there's probably places that would teach that, but it's certainly not. It's saying, I, I'm, I'm doing well. I, I want you to know that I'm doing well, and I want you to reflect that so that I know I'm doing well. There's, there is something very beautiful about the way that we have been relationally made, Right? From birth, we want to be seen for our good moments and affirmed for them. And everyone should be affirmed, absolutely. Let's just put a period on that. Everyone should be affirmed, absolutely. But like anything good, danger is, is, is lurking nearby to kind of twist it and destroy our souls as we grow. And Jesus calls it out. We're going to establish one more thing before we, we take the next step in there. And I mentioned earlier and just now that God actually made us to live public lives. Um, and not only is it human, like I just said, but it's actually necessary for God's kingdom to grow. Okay? It is necessary for God's kingdom to grow that people see and acknowledge our Jesus life out in the world. 
okay, and for people to meet Jesus. In fact, Jesus specifically calls us to live, oh, there, I did put the fasting one in there. There's the fasting one. Jesus calls us specifically, uh, just a chapter earlier in the same message that he's giving, to do the exact opposite. So he, he tells, he tells his, uh, his disciples that they are salt of the earth and light of the world. And, he's, and he gives these examples, and he gives two parallel examples. That's why he says in the same way. But he says in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, good grief, Jesus. Pick a side. <laughs> right? So we have, so Jesus says, you should let your light shine so that people can see the good things you're doing, so that they can see it and glorify God. So we know that Jesus is not trying to, to draw some religious lines here. He's saying, listen, this is a necessary part of your identity, is to live public lives of goodness. But, but, that's not the only thing, and if we're not careful, every so often we need to let God reset our spiritual equilibrium. It's easy to lose our way in, in all of this, isn't it? It's easy to lose our way about living, living good public lives, and all of a sudden we are living for something and striving for something that actually doesn't look like Jesus very much. Um, something can shift in us ever so slightly, and before we know it, all of our goodness is pretty public. All of our best moments are acknowledged by other people. All of them. Right? And we stop, we stop reading books unless there's going to be a book report. To put it in school language. Only if we know that there's an end result and an end goal that we get graded on publicly do we do the work. We move from like this, you know, into this like picks or it didn't happen kind of a mindset, right? Pictures or it didn't happen. Our social media, like, we're, we're at a stage where we, we can now be alone and still share exactly what's happening. We can be totally alone in the middle of the woods praying to God and, and share it with a thousand people. <laughs> like, we just, we need to acknowledge this. And I'm not saying that that's always a bad thing, but it certainly can be. It certainly can be. We need to be real, real aware of all of this. And what we do all of a sudden becomes linked with the need for affirmation of some sort. We find ourselves name-dropping this week's wins to everybody. Yeah, this, you know, you got this, this person said this, you know, it was just really, it was really humbling for me. I just thought I'd share it with you all. <laughs> like, we can just be real, we can be, what an honor to blank. I, we just need to be careful about all of this stuff, Right? We can call it people-pleasing. We can call it image management. We can call it trying to prove ourselves. Call it building a solid spiritual resume. Call it wanting to be noticed. Call it pride or insecurity. Call it the need for validation. It can take on all sorts of forms, but when our lives become very public, and even what happens when we're alone can be broadcast to the world, it can lead to this need for this like dopamine-like hit all of the time to validate our goodness. And so we constantly need someone else to make sure that we feel legitimate. And it wreaks havoc on our souls. So yes, for Jesus, it does start with examining the motive. Right? Jesus says, don't do these things to be seen by other people. In, uh, in Matthew 25, he's, he's really coming down on, on these religious hypocrites. And he says, everything they do is done for people to see. All right? In Matthew 25, 7, or 23, 5. Um, everything they do is done for people to see. So Jesus begins with, um, with examining motive, which is really good. 
always good. Jesus is all, examine, exam. Is it, is it an I here? Is that right? It looks weird. Examining? Yeah, okay. All right. So he starts with examining motive. But listen, if it ends with that, he would just say, and so when you do all this stuff, make sure your heart's in the right place. And that's not what he says. So he doesn't just say, make sure your motives are good and make sure you're not doing it to be seen by others. He actually tells you then to start a different practice that needs to be a part of your life. And so he moves from examining motive to actual soul training. All right? So he doesn't say, when you give, just make sure, man, spelling is not my thing this morning, to soul training. He doesn't say, when you give, make sure your heart's in the right place. He says, you need to learn to practice secrecy sometimes. This has got to be a part of your life. It's not just getting your motives right. It's actually learning the value of practicing secrecy. Okay? There has to be some part of our lives that are the main iceberg beyond what the tip that people see. And, it, and this is the foundation of our spiritual world. Okay? It's a valuable practice. So, so it's not just, okay, I want to have the right heart. Now I can ignore this practice because I've got the right heart. Um, so, so it's really important that we're, that we're aware of this. So I just want to ask, what if we did, as a people, a better job of intentionally embracing the value of no one knowing? What if we allowed certain moments of victory, certain moments of faithfulness or generosity or service to just stay between us and God, guarded like a deep inside secret of the soul? I mean, we have other things that only God knows, right? We have plenty of things that only God knows. It's just that most of them tend to be the dark stuff. So the things that are just between us and God, right? There are brokenness, our struggles, our insecurities is just between us and God. Like Jesus is inviting us to like diversify our privacy portfolio, right? Where when you look in that, in that folder of all the things that only God knows, there's some beautiful, amazing stuff in there too. Not just the stuff that we're so like afraid that if others find out, they would think less of me. So, so there's this practice, and Jesus is saying there should be a depth of your life with Jesus that no one knows about. And that is how you build something stronger, something that can, maybe Jesus' words would be, be a house that's not built on sand, that has a deeper foundation. A rootedness is the way the Old Testament often talks about it. And interestingly, the passage that we looked at this week. But there's something beautiful about all of that. Um, so something, something does happen between you and God when no one else is out there being impressed. So let's, let's just talk about a couple of things that happens when we practice righteous living in secrecy. And by the way, I will say this over and over again, but righteousness in the scriptures is literally right ways of living. We've turned righteous into this very weird word. Righteous means right ways of living. So even the fact that Jesus' righteousness is given to us by being one with Christ. That's Jesus' right ways of living in relationship to God and the world are given to us through grace and forgiveness. So it's still the same thing. Jesus' perfect righteousness. Jesus lived in the right ways on every level in relationship with God, with the world, with, um, with the kingdom. So when we practice um, righteous living in secrecy, a couple things happen. One is real basic. We learn humility, right? Because our ego cannot drive our actions in those moments. If we, are, if we are engaging in actions of love 
or care or generosity that nobody is seeing, our ego gets starved a little in all of the right ways. And we learn to be humble. Okay? And connected with that, these are all connected. Um, Actually, the third one is connected more with the first one. The second one is that we learn ownership in our faith. And we learn ownership in our faith because we are doing something that is literally just between us and Jesus, right? It's, it's interesting. This, this might be a good or might not be a good example. I can't tell you the amount of times that I sit down with somebody and I invite them to tell me a little bit about their own journey with, with God. And what they end up doing is they recite their church experience resume. They say, tell me, tell me about your journey with God. And they say, well, I went to this church for this long, and then this happened, and then I went to this church, and this happened, and, and then I, I went to this church for a while, and that was really good, actually, and then it turned bad, so then I, I did this. But I'm like, well, that's great, but I want to know about, like, what's been going on with you and God? Now, I know that that's me asking maybe for that secrecy, but my point is, often our faith is kind of outsourced in so many ways because everything that we do is about what happens in public. Our entire faith is wrapped up in, I go to church, I was a part of this Bible study, I I enjoy this small group, Um, I pray with a couple people once a week. That's great, but those are all external actions. So, So the question is, how are you building ownership in your own faith? And sometimes that means doing things that nobody knows about. Doing things that are secret. The times of prayer just between you and God that nobody ever knows happens. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's another tool that helps you connect with God beyond religious activities with another person. Uh, the third thing is, or a third thing, not the, so arrogant, the four things that happens when we practice. No, um, these are just, just possibilities. We learn to unhitch ourselves from the need for external validation. And again, this is linked with number one. But it's important that we understand this because we begin having to trust in God's view of us rather than in other people's views based on our actions. doesn't mean we shouldn't be loving in public, but it means that we learn that God can give us and meet our needs and that, like the scriptures say, God is my portion, God is enough that God's presence with me, that the, the love that God has given me and the fact that as I am doing my best, God is seeing that. I don't have to test it constantly against other people. Okay? And so, so all of a sudden we begin to unhitch our need. Need is the word there for external validation. Um, we learn to do good simply because it's what God created us for. This, I love this. We learn to do good not because it's transactional, but simply because it's what God created us to do. We love our neighbor, not so that our neighbor thanks us or calls us out on Facebook or whatever, or leaves us alone, whatever you you might be hoping for the response. We love because God loved us and he showed us the way to live, period, period. And one of the only ways to do that is to have moments where you love and you get nothing in return except knowing that you are living God's way. Um. And then one more, and that one more is that, uh, that this, is a, this is an interesting one, but it's a promise that Jesus keeps repeating, and that is that when we practice living in secrecy, we will receive rewards from God. Jesus says, your Father in heaven will see those moments, and God will reward you. Now, we tend to think about rewards in such a transactional way, so we tend to think it's like this physical whatever, but, but we don't know what exactly this looks like. I tend to think that the greatest reward that God can possibly give when God is the only one that sees is peace and joy 
and satisfaction and excitement and alignment, knowing that we are living this way that God had intended us to live? Is there any better way to walk around, walk down the street on a Monday morning and say, I feel like I'm living in the ways that God intended? And those are the kinds of gifts that God can give us that are beyond any of the things that we often think about, like fixing our problems or anything like that. So, but, but Jesus promises, he says, God sees these things that are in secret, and God will reward you. There's something beautiful. So, uh, let's get practical. I, I realized what we did to you last week and how long that message was. So, this is, this is uh, real simple this week. So, here's some practical uh, ideas. Um, and there are so many more. But practically, what are some of the ways that this can look like? Random acts of kindness. Random acts of anonymous care and generosity to strangers. It's amazing when we are in a situation where we can show love and kindness to somebody that we're pretty sure we'll never see again. There is something really cool about that. Because you can never get repaid for that moment. Right? A really kind word complimenting somebody at a gas station during a trip when you're checking out at the register. Um, writing a, a note welcoming a neighbor to your neighborhood, but not even signing it and just saying your neighbor, you know? Um, what, whatever it is, random acts of, of anonymous care and generosity can really, really do something beautiful in us. Um, linked to this, you know, these are all pretty much the same thing, to be honest. No, at least the first two. Do something when no one is around. Do something kind. And so, so this might be um, doing something for someone. This, this could be people that are in your life, right? Um, it could look very practical. Cleaning up some space. Nobody might ever know that you vacuumed, you know, the carpet. I, I heard this story about this guy who um, he vacuumed his, his, the carpet of his, of his house every single morning for, for years. And then his wife needed to vacuum, and she was just so thankful. And his wife found out that, um, that this is what, or his, his wife needed to vacuum because she was having friends over or something like that. And she found out the vacuum cleaner was broken. And the next morning, the whole floor was vacuumed again. And she realized that the guy was just taking the stroller that they had and just putting the lines down in the carpet every day. Um, I don't know if that marriage lasted. But, but, uh. Like, do the opposite of that, okay? Like, do the opposite there. So instead of not doing something and making it look like you did, do something and not need the validation. I can't tell you how many times I do something around the house and desperately need Bethany to notice. And we, we share roles. Um, we, we don't typically fit into too many of the gender roles, although I admit it's almost impossible for women to not bear the, the load, the mental load in our world because the assumptions that most men, including me, are not even aware of. However... I love to make sure that she knows when I, like, took care of something, even if it's my job, even if it's always been my job. I just really appreciate knowing. And, and you know, you want to be appreciated. But again, again, this is not about that. This is about learning to do things sometimes where you are at peace when no one knows, when nobody acknowledges it. So it can look like that. What else do we have? All right. Oh, this is so good. If you happen to be a leader in some of your contexts, and this is, this is what we're starting to broaden things from just tiny, tiny secret behaviors. Learning to practice secret goodness sometimes looks like entering a space where you are just a learner alongside others, and you do not have to posture with how much you know or all your leadership gifts to take the lead. So if you find yourself, and if, if your, your career or your life 
um, is such where you tend to be a leader in a lot of settings. Find areas where you can simply participate and not need to let anyone know about all your leadership experience or all of your knowledge, okay? Um, which is linked again to the next, to another idea, which is refrain from little comments that show how much you know, even in conversations. I know I'm capable of name dropping with the best of them. I can talk about all the authors I know. I can talk about all kinds of crap. None of it has value, except that it makes me sound smart. And so, so when we learn to just say, ah, hmm, I would have said that thing, but the motive was really so that people were kind of be subtly impressed with my knowledge. Keep your mouth shut. Keep it between you and God. Learn to love better instead of thinking about what I'm about to say that, make, that makes me look good. Link to submission, by the way, our submission talk. Uh, spend a morning journaling with God and let your thoughts stay in there. Spend a morning just talking to God, journaling, whatever, and just allow it to stay right there, that conversation. Protect it between you and God. It sounds so simple, but it trains the soul. Um, and, uh, and, and really, really, I would say, this is very, very broad and maybe unhelpful, but let's, let's at least toss it out there. Reflect on an area that you feel like your faith lacks any secret depth. Where any time that you think about this area of your faith, it's just all very public. Like, maybe you realize that you don't actually ever pray on your own. You enjoy praying with others, but, like, you don't have that. Maybe you realize that, um, that like, you've never actually given away money independently of anyone knowing about it. Um, by the way, don't give $1,000 away without talking to your spouse. That should be a shared secret. Uh, I'm just trying to save, yeah, just trying to save, save relationships if you happen to be married. Um, there are certain things that, uh, that that can be a part of. Um, but there's, there's so much here. Now, I want to I wanna offer one more thing, and then we'll transition, or two more things, actually, but they're both really, really short. One is that in order for this to happen and to create a culture that helps us thrive in secret goodness, you know what we have to do? We have to create a culture here of regular identity affirmation. We have to make sure that we are participating in the constant reminders of one another of how valuable we are so that we don't train each other to need to seek it out. When we are confident in our identity... And let's be honest, one of the ways that we become confident in our identity is by hearing the voice of God through one another saying, this is my child with whom I love and whom I am well pleased. I am constantly reminded that that's the voice, by the way, that, that Jesus heard when he was being baptized. And it happened before Jesus had done anything amazing. This is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. Hadn't done a thing, no miracles, no teaching, nothing. This was an identity given to him. And I think that Jesus kind of got inspired by it and lived into it in new ways. That might mess with your theology, but I don't know. Jesus was also fully human. So there is beauty there in us learning to speak words of, of affirmation, not just about what people do, but just reminding each other that we are beloved of God and that nothing can change that that we are worth everything to God and that nothing can change that. When that happens, 
we begin to become unhitched from the need to, to do actions that get other people to tell us that, right? And all of a sudden, we're at peace with who we are, and we can live in a way that doesn't, isn't linked so much to outside affirmation. Uh, so there's beauty in that. So, so we can create a culture of regular identity affirmation that helps these things become more easy for us to do. And then I want to say one more thing, and that is a, a reminder that this whole theme about secret goodness is about far more than isolated activities. So I want to share just a, a brief story about um, a, a gentleman named Henry Nowen. Uh, Henry Nowen uh, was, and was a brilliant man. Henry Nowen uh, was a, a professor for 20 years at the seminaries of Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard. And after 20 years of teaching, he left that life and he moved to a small location outside of Toronto called the Daybreak Larch Community. And he spent the next decade of his life living in community with individuals that had intellectual disability. None of them knew how brilliant he was. He spent his days laughing, playing, carrying people around. Uh, eventually, he did, he did uh, do speaking engagements again. And when he did, he would bring residents from daybreak with him who would teach half of the message about what they understand about God's love. And so Nowen has inspired many of us. Um, but one of the things that I think is, is interesting is that he knew what he was doing. He didn't just get sick of being a professor. He got captured by God's heart in a new calling and in a fresh way. And it, I, I really appreciate these words. Real greatness is often hidden, humble, simple, and unobtrusive. It's not easy to trust ourselves and our actions without public affirmation. We must have strong self-confidence combined with deep humility. And it doesn't say so here, but he believed that that was given by God and endowed by God on each person. And so there's such beauty there. Secrecy is not um, simply about doing an anonymous deed nicely. It's about embracing a spiritual posture that does not need to prove yourself or be seen as impressive. It is a way of life of being deeply hidden in Christ. Being hidden in Christ. And that's why it's worth practicing. So at the risk of disobeying Jesus, I'm going to invite us to pray publicly together. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, form us into people of humility. Help us to know your view of us. Help us to let you meet us in the deep, secret places of our hearts. We pray for inspiration this week that you would give us eyes to see who you see and care about and to have simple actions that express it that will be our little secret, Lord. And uh, Jesus, I just want to make space at this exact moment just for a few seconds of secret personal connection with you for everyone in this room. So Lord, in this silence for just a few moments, I pray that you would
just see each one of us and whatever we need to bring to you, that you would meet us. Form us into your disciples in the deepest places, Lord. Amen.